Hey, what's up, everybody? Yeah. It's awfully nice. That's awfully nice and one-fourth of everybody in here to clap for me. I really appreciate it. Uh, hey, if we never met before, my name's Adam, and I get the privilege of pastoring this community called Sanctuary, and I'm so excited to be uh, back uh, giving a sermon. Uh, the little churches I grew up in, we call it being behind the pulpit, so I'm excited to be behind the pulpit again today. Uh, before we jump in, I want to give you a little heads up on what's going to be happening in Sanctuary the next four weeks. Okay, the next four weeks, we're going to be studying a book of, wait for it, the Bible. Uh, <laughs> we're going to be studying the book of Philippians, okay? Uh, someone really likes Philippians over here? All right, that's great. Uh, I'm excited to do this, at least since I've been here. We haven't really uh, just sort of anchored on one book, and so we're going to do that for four straight weeks. And what I want to encourage you to do is each week we're going to study a chapter of Philippians. So next week, we're going to be talking about chapter one of Philippians. What I want to ask you to do is this week, read that chapter. Uh, soak in that chapter. Read it a few times if you're an overachiever. And uh, that will just help us as a community as we dive in next week. Uh, we will ask God to speak to us through that. Okay, deal? Deal. Okay, great. All right, well, tonight, uh, as Mark said, we're finishing up this Let's Hear From series, and we're going to hear from me, a father of three human beings. Uh, yeah, uh, I've been a father of three for a little over one month now, and it's been crazy. It's been a hectic ride, uh, but God has been teaching me some stuff, and I would love to pass that on to you tonight. Uh, so to start, I want to show you a picture uh, that Lori and I saw the other day. Let's show this picture uh, this was a little over five years ago. This was like right before we had our first kid, and Lori and I saw it a couple weeks ago, and we were like, had the same reaction. We were like, look how well-rested we look, <laughs> like energetic, able to take on the world. Uh, I'm going to show you another picture. Before I do, I want to tell you, I want to give you a warning, it's a little disturbing, okay? So uh, look at it with your own risk, okay? Let's show the next picture. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is two weeks, two weeks after we had our baby Jude. Uh, this is before I shaved, so this is two weeks no shaving. And it sort of looks like a trauma victim a little bit. <laughs> I told Lori I was going to make this joke, and she was like, please let them know that you are joking, and our kids are not trauma. Uh, they are actually blessings, and she's right. Uh, we love our kids to death. They are blessings. Uh, but having three kids... Uh, is obviously, it's well known, everybody I tell that I was going to have three kids or I have three kids, everybody comes up to me and they're just like, oh, wow, okay, that sounds hard. It's sort of well known that that's going to be hard, right? Uh, so there, you got to ask the question, why is that hard? I could give you some examples. The example of when the planets and the stars perfectly align and all three kids are crying and wailing at the same time. And Lori and I look at each other and we're just like, what do, you, what do we do? What do we do in this situation? Do you console the youngest because this one's the less tainted of all of them and you know, best chance? Do you console the middle child because you don't want the, the whole neglected middle child thing and for him to get weird one day, like some of you middle children in here, you know what I'm talking about. Or do you console the oldest because maybe if you console them, they can help you out. Or you can do like we did and you take option four and you just look at each other and you start laughing <laughs> at the absurdity of the situation. I could give you an example of our nights 
with these kids. Okay, so everybody knows the newborns, just not great sleepers, and it's true, they are not. Uh, but a few weeks ago, uh, so the newborn's waking up every couple hours, uh, you expect that. But then I hear my son in the other room, he goes, my pooped, my pooped. <laughs> and so I run in, he, he was telling the truth, he had pooped. And so I change his diaper, you know, get him all ready, and then I go back to sleep. And I finally, I sort of get that nice rim cycle, you know. And I'm laying down, I just feel a presence next to me. <laughs> and I open my eyes, it's, God! it's my daughter, and she's just staring at me, you know. <laughs> and she's like, oh, I had a bad dream, can you help me? And I'm like, of course, so I go to her. So that night, uh, three separate human beings worked in tandem to keep me awake. And these are three human beings that I played a big part in creating, you know. It's no respect. So obviously those kind of things, those are hard. Uh, those are definitely hard examples. But tonight, I want to be honest with you. I want to tell you there's an underlying hardness. There's an underlying difficulty uh, that's behind all these examples. There's an underlying difficulty that relates to you, even though you're younger than me. A lot of you uh, might not even have a significant other. Uh, you don't have kids for sure, but this still relates to you. And this is the underlying difficulty uh, we knew one reality uh, before we had kids. We were used to that reality. We were good at it. And then we had our first kid, and the reality shifted. It was altered. Then we got used to that. We got uh, our, our routine down with one kid, and then we had another kid, and that altered the reality again. And then with two kids, we finally figured out how to do that. And now reality has shifted again. And there's an everyday word that we use when we talk about this reality being shifted. What is that word? That word is change. That's what makes it so hard. It's change. We knew one reality. Now we have to just and learn things all over again. And although I don't know what you're walking in here with tonight, I'm 100% certain that you are dealing with some kind of change. You're either in the middle of it uh, you just came out of a season of change, or you're about to head into a season of change. And so tonight, I want to address that with you. Even though we're in different life situations, we have to learn about change and what God wants to do with us. So I'll finish this old cliche that I found out is actually from an old Greek philosopher. Uh, if any of you guys know this, uh, uh, what is the one constant in life? Change, yeah. What's the one constant in life? It's true. It's constant. Change can be big. It can be small. It can be painful. It can be exciting. Uh, we finally get comfortable in a setting, and then we have to transfer to a new city. We love a person, then they leave, and we experience loneliness and separation. We're in a sweet spot with our job, finally, and we get a new boss, and everything changes. Our friends leave uh, because it's sort of uh, apparently expensive to live in the Bay Area. <laughs> this is a change we all have to deal with. Uh, in an article from Harvard Business Review, the authors say this, all people who are affected by change experience some emotional turmoil. Even changes that appear to be positive or rational, uh, get this, involve loss and uncertainty. This is the truth, right? Every change involves loss and uncertainty. It can be painful, it can be scary, but tonight I want to tell you there's something, something deeply powerful that's happening with every change. And my fear is that many of us are missing it. 
we need a perspective shift. We need a, a lens shift. Uh, for those of us who are young adults living in Silicon Valley, we are in the, the changiest place in the country. I made up that word, changiest. Uh, the season of life that you're in, constant change. And I believe something beautiful is happening within this change, but we have to shift our perspective. And this is what I believe tonight. This is what I want to communicate to you that God is teaching me this powerful truth for all of us. And it's this, that every change is a chance. Every single change is just chance. What's, it, what's it a chance for? It's a chance for transformation, a chance for growth, a chance to evolve, a chance to be molded by God. Change is not, for, not just for loss and uncertainty, but it's a chance to grow. So we want to talk about that tonight. Uh, a lot of us love uh, Star Wars movies. Maybe you love the Game of Thrones, rest in peace. Uh, whatever movie or book or story that you love, we all love it for the same reason. Sure, we, great dialogue, special effects, that's all good. But what do we want to see? We want to see a character experience challenges and to be changed and transformed. That's what a story is all about. So many of us need to look at our own lives like a story. What is God transforming us into. And so tonight we want to look at one story in the Bible together of a man who experienced great change and he experienced transformation as well, okay? So if you have your Bibles, uh, you feel free to turn. We're going to look at the end of the book of Genesis. And we're going to look at a guy uh, named Joseph, okay? Now Joseph was uh, born to a famous Israelite man named Jacob. And Joseph had 10 other brothers. That's way more than three kids. 10 other brothers. And Joseph uh, was the favorite of his dad, Jacob. And Jacob didn't even try to hide this. At one point, he gave Joseph this uh, colorful coat. In those days, it was hard to make things out of color. And so he gives his son this colorful coat. And Joseph sort of wears it everywhere. And his brothers start getting resentful because they realize that Joseph is the favorite of his parents. So that's when we jump in the story. This is uh, chapter 37, verse 19 in Genesis. We see this. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Some of you guys think you have tensions with your siblings. <laughs> They've never tried to kill you, right? Okay. If they have, I don't want to hear about it. Uh, when Reuben heard this, Reuben's the oldest, he tried to rescue him from their hands. And he says this, let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern, which is like a deep pit here in the wilderness. But don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him. Take him back to his father. Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. Reuben, always the, uh, the, the calm one. He says, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. <laughs> so uh, that is better. That is better. Uh, the first thing we see in this story is this reality for all of us. A lot of times our change that we experience comes through relationships. Man, we all experience relational change. You shared your life your stories, and your vulnerability with a friend, and now they've moved on to someone else. Uh, you went shopping at Ikea with a significant other, trying to pick out furniture. Uh, you can't pronounce any of the names, 
but you're hopeful, and then that person breaks up with you. You experience heartbreak. Maybe your parents got a divorce at some point. Maybe your friend uh, or all your friends are moving to Austin or Denver or Seattle. Uh, Those are sort of the three accepted places that tech people can move to. One of the hardest kind of changes that we all face is relational because it feels so personal. The Bible doesn't talk about things like feelings a lot, uh, but you can just imagine how Joseph felt, right? His brothers, even though they didn't get along so great, were his flesh and blood, and they attacked him. They put him in a deep pit and eventually sold him to strangers for slavery. Imagine the isolation and the hurt and the pain and the fear that he must have felt in those moments. That's what relational change can do to all of us. We feel isolated, lonely, fearful. Let's continue with the story of Joseph. Uh, you know, at this point, he gets sold into slavery. You, could, you wouldn't blame him if he just gave up, if he got bitter. Uh, but instead, Joseph uh, gets sold to the land of Egypt. He sort of excels there. He becomes this master of the entire estate of this influential man. And so Joseph gets back in sort of this steady, comfortable place, a place he knows, and once again uh, looked on with favor. But like we said earlier, the only constant is change. So we see this, 39, verse 6. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me, but he refused. Uh, skip to verse 12. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand, ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand, had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. So Joseph, in a moment of integrity, uh, gets blamed for something that he doesn't do. So a takeaway for, for us, sometimes our change comes from our own decisions. They could be good decisions, like Joseph, maybe we stand up for something we believe in, and then we're alienated for it. Maybe your integrity costs you a friend. It could be good decisions, or it could be bad decisions. Sometimes we make a mistake and a bad decision, and that costs us our finances, that costs us uh, our friends or our job. We see that change can come from our decisions. So Joseph experiences change again. He's sent to prison. He has this other reality shift. And again, we wouldn't blame him if in prison he got bitter, he got mad at God and at Potiphar's wife. But instead, Joseph starts using his gifts. He starts interpreting dreams. He's sort of a prophet. And word starts spreading that he has this gifting, spreads all the way to the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh. And by interpreting Pharaoh's dream, Joseph rises all the way to the second of command in all of Egypt. And so we see this for ourselves, that change sometimes comes through our own gifting, the way we work. God has gifted us with uh, the ability to do craft, to work at what we do. Sometimes change comes through that. And finally, uh, Joseph hears the Pharaoh's dream, and he predicts this long famine that will come about in this land. And so Joseph's family, his brothers, his entire family, 
uh, because of this famine, they start needing help. And so they pack up and they travel all the way to Egypt. And they see Joseph, who is at this high rank. And here's the cool thing. They don't even recognize him. Because at this point, Joseph has changed and transformed so much. Uh, finally, they, they do recognize Joseph. And they get frightened. Because, of course, like Joseph, uh, I'm sure, is bitter, right? Like he's going to get back at them. He's going to sell them into slavery. He's going to uh, get his revenge on his brothers. But instead, Joseph says this epic line. That's sort of the culmination of what I want to talk about tonight. It's in Genesis 50:20. Joseph says this, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The brothers intended harm, but God used it to transfer Joseph. And for you and me, what Satan what our coworkers, what the culture, what bullies, what society mean for harm in our life. God wants to use for good. He wants to use it to change us and make us stronger. Because every change is a chance. Every change is a chance to grow us. So for the rest of our time, I just want to talk about uh, two of our options when it comes to this chance. Two of the ways we can respond to change. So I want to fi finish this quote from uh, a Harvard Business Review. It says this, Nevertheless, for a number of different reasons, individuals or groups can react very differently to change. And hear this, from passively resisting it, aggressively trying to undermine it, or sincerely embracing it. So we have two options when it comes to change in our life. We can resist it, or we can embrace it. We can resist it by avoiding. I could just go in my room and cry myself to sleep and pretend my kids didn't need me at all. That would be great. That would be a great option. My wife would love it. Uh, we can pretend to ignore change. We can fight change. We can uh, become angry, cynical, bitter. Joseph had this option all along his journey. But here's the deal, my friends. If we resist we fight the work of God, what he wants to do in our lives. When we resist, we risk the chance of missing all the ways God wants to grow and transform us. So what I want to do is urge you today to be someone who embraces the change in your life, to embrace this reality that every change is a chance. So what does it mean to embrace? The definition of embrace says this, to accept or support a belief theory of change willingly and enthusiastically. Willingly, enthusiastically. That's what I've been learning about having three kids now. It's so hard, but I want to embrace what God is teaching me in this season. So I want to say a few words about what embracing is not and what embracing is, okay? So first, what embracing is not. So embracing is not inauthenticity, okay? So none of us like the person who pretends like everything is always roses and ice cream, right? We don't like the person who's like, yeah, no, I'm glad he broke up with me. It's great. It's fine. I'm glad I lost that job. It's great. Everything happens for a reason. Embracing change doesn't mean we have to pretend like everything's okay. We can still be authentic with the situation, what's happening. Also, embracing is not being emotionless. 
We're not robots. God gives us feelings in order to show us things. Change and difficulty produce emotion. But a healthy person doesn't ignore emotion. They feel them and they learn how to process that emotion. Embracing it is not thinking things will be easy. Just because we want to embrace change doesn't mean it's not hard. It is hard. Embracing change is like a state of mind, preparing you for the upcoming challenge, not thinking things will be easy. So that's what embracing is not. What is embracing? What does it look like? The first thing, embracing is digging deeper. Every emotion that we experience is trying to communicate to us. Instead of just feeling that emotion, we want to seek to understand. Why does that trigger me? Why am I feeling that? Uh, for me, uh, I do this a lot through journaling. I love to write. And so every day I just try to write out, what is, what is happening to me? Why am I experiencing this emotion? God, what are you doing with me? For many of us, that means processing with a friend or a counselor. Another thing that embracing is, is zooming out. This is huge. A lot of the change, if we look back in our past, every change feels so monumental and so big. But when we zoom out, we can see our past changes and we remember that we, we felt like it was the end of the world, but God pulled us through. Will you even care about this situation in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? And then finally, embracing is naming the trait, naming the character trait that God is building in you. And this is a big one that a lot of us don't do the work to figure out. In the midst of my three kids sort of chaos, I've been asking God, what are you trying to teach me? I've noticed that I am just super impatient. I'm constantly like, eat that food, get here, pull that thing out of your nose, tie your shoes. And I think God's trying to teach me to be a more patient person. That's what he's trying to teach me. The other thing he's trying to teach me is to be more present. I keep saying, man, I can't wait till our kids start sleeping or they cry less or they get to this age. And God is trying to teach me, you only have this moment. Be present in it. So God's trying to teach me patience and presence. What, what is he trying to teach you through your change? To be more grateful? He's trying to teach you forgiveness or courage. Naming the trait makes this transformation process more concrete. So my question to you is what change have you faced recently? What change are you facing? What change will you face? It could be relational, work-related, decisions, how can you embrace this change? Dig deeper into what God is forming in you. I want to close uh, by showing you a picture that my daughter, my five-year-old daughter, Hadley Drew. I told her, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I asked her uh, to draw a butterfly. You guys know I love props, right? And so I looked online. Apparently, you can't get live butterflies. <laughs> I couldn't find anywhere anyways. I was going to, like, release them everywhere. Uh, there's a lot of issues with that plan. I'm glad it didn't work out. But then I was like, okay. I talked to my five-year-old, and I was like, man, can you draw us a butterfly? And then it was really cool. She said, well, what are you teaching about butterflies? What are you saying? And I was like, well, I'm trying to teach people uh, about transformation and change. And you remember how we talk about with butterflies, they start as one thing, and then they change. And she was like, well, then I need to draw the whole process of change. I was like, 
You are so awesome. So in the yellow page, you can see that's the egg on a leaf. And then those are actually caterpillars, obviously. A baby caterpillar, then bigger caterpillars. And then the next page, we sort of ran out of room. Uh, then we got a butterfly, a bigger butterfly, with a little bit of a smiley face on the side there. Not sure. <laughs> and then a flower, and then either a butterfly or a bumblebee. Not really sure. Uh, but one of the things about being a father of three, I'm not only trying to embrace change, but I also am embracing cheesy things. <laughs> Just part of being a dad. Like, uh, I grew up in Oklahoma where guys are tough, you know, and don't show your emotions. And, uh, man, I show my emotions a lot now. Uh, we do Eskimo kisses every night with my kids. We do that game where it's like, it's, re it's really cheesy, but it's like, uh, I, I love you as big as a whale. And then she'll say, I love you as big as the ocean. Well, I love you. You know, we'll do all the cheesy things. And one of the cheesy things I've been embracing is this overused metaphor of a butterfly. <laughs> My kids are obsessed with butterflies right now, and so we're reading books about them. We're seeing them in our backyard, and as I'm looking uh, at it through my kids' eyes, I'm seeing the brilliance and the beauty of this metaphor again. We see one creation, a caterpillar, that goes through a process, goes through change that could be painful or tiresome. And it emerges as a new creation. That's the gospel right there. That's the gospel in a butterfly. Jesus says this, I've come to make all things new. Another writer in scripture says, you are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. See, a lot of us that grew up in American Christianity sort of missed the point of this whole Jesus thing. We thought Christianity was all about becoming a part of a club and being able to say, yep, I'm a Christian, check, that's who I am. But in reality, Jesus came to call us to follow him, to follow him and be transformed into something new. He doesn't want us to say the same. That's why we go through change. That's why we go through difficulty. He wants to grow us and evolve us, to mold us. That's why every change is a chance. Every change is a chance. Would you bow your heads with me? Before we go into a time of worship, uh, before we pray, I just want to give you a moment to, to think about and reflect on your own change. This is that part I talked about where we process and we go deeper. I just want to give you a minute to think about what is God trying to teach you? Maybe it's in a recent change. Maybe you're in the middle of it. Maybe it's to come. God, what are you trying to transform in me?
So God, we come to you tonight. We'd ask that you would give us this burden to uh, realize that every change, every change is a chance, God. God, would you show us that you want to transform us. You want to make us new. You want to make us more like you. So would you teach us to be the kind of people that don't resist, but we embrace what you're doing, the work you're doing in our Jesus, would you remind us that in every season, in every situation, you are with us through it all. Would you show us how to turn our attention, turn our eyes to you, that when it seems like all is lost, when it seems like we're alone and hopeless, that you are guiding, that you are moving. We thank you for these moments to remember this. Would you show us how to be more like you? every situation. As we continue to worship, would you remind us that you are present, that you are here? Would you give us space to to do work with you? God, we give you this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray.